You are listening to WNHHLP, 103.5 FM New Haven, streaming live at www.newhavenindependent.org and broadcasting live from our offices on Elm Street. This is a special episode of Artbeat with Dan Fitzmorris. Hello and welcome to Artbeat. I'm Daniel Fitzmorris, the Executive Director at Creative Arts Workshop, and Today is a is a is a special episode because um, we usually talk about all of the wonderful things going on in New Haven for visual artists and curators and designers and art historians and and while that's still true and we'll still talk about that one of the things that happens in our community is that sometimes those visual artists and such find opportunities out of New Haven and and there's sort of a bittersweet melancholy. Um, story that could be opened up a little bit more. And it just hit me, actually, while I was on vacation, of all things, in North Carolina, and I saw that No Pop and company uh, Mm -hmm. were going to be moving. So I invited Laura to come in, and we can sort of crack open what's going on um, Mm -hmm. and talk about what it's like. Um, And I'm sure it's a conversation that a lot of people have had with a lot of different artists in our community. So I feel like we're just over the, you know, over the fireside or usually like having a drink. Mm-hmm. Today it's of water. Yeah. So thanks for coming in, Laura. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Do you want to just give your your byline real quick for people who don't know who Laura Marsh is? Yeah. So um, my husband and I run No Pop and that's out of our studio. And we have installations that are participatory and we invite other artists to both exhibit their work and also curate work. And we we've been around for a year. And my journey to New Haven was through Yale. I went to school for sculpture, got my MFA well, so you, here. And you've been on this show before, and I didn't know that. So yeah. that's a really, so you were not, where are you from originally? I'm from Pennsylvania. What part? Um, Montrose. Oh. Um, it's in the woods, you know. I'm, I'm from the country, and um, it's an area that's being fracked. Mm. Yeah, so that's where I come from. But it's this beautiful lake region that's changing. and. I had always wanted to go to Yale. I was from oh, really, really humble beginnings and I really wanted to be academically like proud of myself. And, um, and where did you get your undergraduate work then? I went to Cleveland, okay. the Cleveland Institute of Art, which Cleveland's changed a lot. And Lucy and I talk about the Midwest too. Um, I should say, I'm going to drag Lucy into yeah, the episode we should if def- possible. You should definitely talk sometimes, especially about the Midwest. And I had a wonderful time there and moved to New York and then, was poor, you know, just, I'm from a working class background. I have debt. And so I started working at a boutique in for, um, for a woman, a small business who also had a yoga studio and I was making no money and I overdrafted applying to grad schools. And so, but this is a typical, like you have your undergraduate degree in art, your BFA and you're, I mean, you were doing some art, in New York, I'm sure, in addition yeah, oh, to yeah. working. In my tiny, tiny apartment with a green carpet, and it was it was intense. I, w- I remember being relieved to leave New York because I was just really poor. And at Yale, I had one really wonderful year where I really got into textiles, and then right after, you know, in the second year, I was really worried about just making money and starting, and I always wanted to teach. Because your your program and most MFA programs are three years long. 
Ours was two. Yours was just two. Yeah. yeah. So you got to your second year. Architecture is three, I believe. And I think graphic design is definitely three. Or okay. you can go on the three-year track. And um, so I saw opportunity in teaching. And I started working in the nonprofit world. I started working at ArtSpace and... I wasn't making any money there either, and um, <laughs> I'm going to be were, frank. No, no, no. Were you <laughs> and, and thinking that's not even, when you, you know, got your MFA, you said earlier that part of it was your academic orientation. Like you wanted to achieve that goal and cross that hurdle, but were you thinking when you got in, like year one, like, oh, I'm going to come back out and teach, or are you thinking I'm going to go out and I'm going to... What were you thinking as as an MFA student? I was thinking a little bit of both. I was thinking... You know, That's realistic of you. I, yeah, I <laughs> was really down the line, um, kind of a middle class way of thinking where I was like, I know that I'll always make my work. And I also know that teaching is interesting to me. And I actually saw my time at Yale as a way to actually be exposed to famous artists. And I just went to um, the Brooklyn Afropunk Festival last weekend with Cheryl Donegan, who's one of my art um, influences, mm -hmm. you know, and we just hung out as people and talked about her kids and like my move to Miami. And, um, so I really saw it as a way to network. Um, I ended up teaching though. And a lot of, I have had friends who have hustled and really made their way and pushed through and some pushed were, through as artists, as artists alone, essentially. alone. And they typically come from like wealth. And I mean, that's just the reality. And, and that's not even, I have so many friends who are wealthy who I love and think are great people, but I don't come from that. So for me, teaching was a way to have some stability so that I could at least afford an art studio. Mm -hmm. I mean, and New Haven, I knew I could get big space and I still had to look for that space. It took me the no pop location. It's above a laundromat. I had to go through a realtor to find it. It wasn't easy to find that much square footage at all. It wasn't. Right. It wasn't easy yeah. as an artist no. who was essentially really committed to being here mm -hmm. for a variety of reasons and that whole ecosystem of work to yeah. say, well, I've got the resources to do a little something and I'd love to have how much, I mean, you're looking for a significant amount of space, but yeah. still, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, I can imagine that's not easy. New Haven has tough real estate. It does. Everywhere right does. Now. Actually, everywhere does right now. Oh, never mind. Everywhere does. Maybe not your hometown in Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah, maybe not in Pennsylvania. <laughs> but then I would have maybe had a studio on a, a farm or something and lived more of a life of solitude. And I actually really need to be in an urban environment. Um, I react to so much popular culture that mm -hmm. I have to be immersed. So um, there were a couple of things that were hard in New Haven. We were displaced from a couple of live workspaces and right. And so that's, I mean, and I didn't know you then I didn't live in New Haven then. Yeah. So I was sort of, you know, peripherally kind of seeing that I grew up in the area and then was gone and came back. So that was, that's the prodigal son story here. Oh, wow. but, but, yeah. but I don't know a whole lot about how that all happened and, and mm -hmm. that whole process. Cause so you were, had your MFA, you were teaching. Yep. Um, and, and I needed and, space and making your art and doing a number of other nonprofit kinds of activity, you know, intersecting with yeah. the art nonprofit world as you could. Mm -hmm. But like for you, like where you live and where you work, that's like a really vital part of it. But you had all these displacement issues. Yeah. So there was um, this building that had a 40 year legacy that definitely exists in myth now, I feel. In some ways, even though the building is still standing and there's right. clearly some management going on and the owner still 
has a hold of it. It's like um, for 40 years, artists were living and working there and it was never like properly zoned. And I think they had a hard time trying to make it artist lofts. I think they approached it at some point and um, just it became this kind of interestingly beautiful eccentric place. Um, so I think everyone who was in there sort of loved it. And it was also like craziest floor plan I've ever seen. I think there's still <laughs> parts of that building that you are, are unaccounted for, you know, it was that kind of space and there were a hundred people in there. A hundred. And you know, if you look at any building with a hundred people, you're going to see a mixed income level. That's just the way it is. I mean, Buildings today, um, like 360 State, when it's built, I mean, there's a section that is for low-income housing, you know. Um, but we were all forced out in a three-day period, and, and it snowed the first day in March that we were kicked out, and we just had to find new places to live. And that was my first, like, really big moment where I was like, I just can't be here, I don't think. Um, but... But yet, I mean you can't be here meaning you can't be in this isn't viable like i'm finding that my life is not quite viable in new haven which was a little bit of a shock i mean and in terms of my art career i was doing a lot of work within new haven and then teaching in different places i spent one summer in italy um but my work felt like it was grounded here i didn't enjoy that feeling i um enjoyed no pop though so there was another apartment between <laughs> Daggett Street and No Pop on Park Street, um, which was completely temporary and um, and necessary I and necessary. And I had a, a like six month lease on it. I had this like crazy three days of looking for a place to live and feeling really nuts. And I talked to my realtor Carol um, with the Farnham Group, and that's like her company, her business, and she was super helpful. And I had to go with a Pike International place and it was this house that was completely renovated on the inside it was a really nice apartment but on the outside it hadn't been finished yet so it looked abandoned <laughs> and it it's was amazing it was amazing and also just nuts i don't think i didn't have really anybody over that six months i just was like you know let me come over to your house like I, i'm gonna make work here and i'm gonna store my stuff here and i'm gonna have a little bit of a home here but i'm gonna well, you move on some kind of emotional yeah transition essentially how long yeah. were you at daggett street uh i was only there for a year and phil had really built out the place we had been collaborating to make the space what it a, into a really nice studio live space i mean i can still visualize it and it was really a, a wonderful space and but it's not it wasn't meant to be and we learned about not putting money into spaces you don't own <laughs> really quickly i mean just probably shouldn't do that. But I think a lot of artists and musicians do that to be comfortable and to have their vision. You know, we had a vision for that space and we have a vision for no pop. And um, we had talked about no pop about six years before when we, oddly enough, were in another Pike building. Oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah. really interesting. And it this idea was brewing. It was brewing. And we were like, oh, you know, the problem with installation art is that you know, often you're asked to take over the storefront of a building that's not being rented and you have this huge window space and you can't possibly take it over or have any like visual coherency. But what if we just had a room and if it was even kind of small and then artists weren't intimidated and then they just exploded in a room, that would be a better fit for installation. 
But you, so, so six, that's a long time before you started it. I mean, were there, what were the barriers to just to doing it? Um, I, I mean, you were in school or you're working. It or... was more like, oh, so the first years of teaching, I taught all adjunct gigs, like part-time teaching. So I had classes at all of the universities in this area. I've taught at like, I feel like every university between the two of us and we were all, we were part-time at each one of those jobs. So I was just in my car eating food and going to my studio at night and I had a really cheap apartment and they were separate spaces and a lot of ID cards and email accounts. Oh and... yeah, just tons of email accounts. Oh my god! And, and this is probably not an uncommon. It's not issue. It's super common. Um, and the thing that I like really... the eco. I I like talking about the ecosystem, but we forget that the ecosystem might involve five different jobs. Yeah, higher yeah. education places of adjuncting, even exactly. And this continued for a long time. I mean. Um, last year I had two jobs and Phil had four and then we ran no pop. So, you know, when people would ask us, do you have gallery hours? I'd be like, if there's a day that you want to swing by, like, let's talk. But I have two jobs and he has four and like, we do events that are exhibitions and that's what we do. And, um, that worked for us. And, um, so part of the no hot brewing was just, yeah. you had, so many other things to hustle around that you yeah. could only but napkin discuss yeah I this did. idea about no pop never mind the fact that it may have been challenging to find the space yeah. which ultimately became no pop yeah so so it was that was like also just sometimes when you're formulating an idea it's more like a what if checklist you know like well, what if we had a little tiny extra room we could put another artist in there what if we had a hallway space that is like perfectly clean and white that can be patched up that would be a gallery space and then so I felt pretty insistent on having a live work studio um if I'm going to work a day job as a working class person I'm going to come home and that's where my studio is like it's not going to be somewhere else you know and I still feel that way and, and Phil and I are discussing that right now he's like why do we have to have it in the same space I'm like because I'm I'm tired like I'm physically tired and I can I can be tired and make artwork, but if you try to convince me that I should get in the car and drive for 20 minutes, I might, I might actually just lose steam. Yeah, no, that's understandable. And I think yeah. that's something that, you know, it's not, it's, it's unique in some respect to visual artists in that, um, you need the spatial concerns are greater, a greater thing. Uh, a musician can yeah. play at home often enough if you have yeah. enough soundproofing and a, 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 an actor can rehearse the foam kind of in, in their your own bedroom, context. You just put foam all you over do, your bedroom. You do, you do. There are different <laughs> tricks of the trade, sure. but it's hard if you're living in a in a 600 square foot condo yeah. to do the work that you do and a lot of other visual artists. Not, it's not just an installation yeah. issue. It's an issue for potters and painters and a number of different messy art disciplines. Yeah. Exactly. And sometimes you see a condo and you're like, do I have to put down my own fake floor so that I can just rip up the painty floor later? Or, you know, and there is a lot of that sort of ability to make a mess. Um, my friend John Stone and I would talk about that a lot. He was at Daggett with us and that's how we became friends. And he's in Philly and we're moving to Miami and like a lot of people have just kind of hit the road into different cities. And, um, yeah, I might actually be going back to that, you know, for a little while. And I, I, I've basically been connecting with artists in Miami and being like, what are you doing? 
what's your live work situation? Oh, you have one of those. Okay. You know, and they do tend to have smaller spaces, but a lot more event spaces. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's like, Oh, you know, I foresee no pop as a traveling set of exhibits. Mm -hmm. Like, um, and that's why we did an installation at the Ely house before we left. It was like, that's the first one. And the other one might be somewhere else. And yeah, I think a lot of U.S. citizens travel around a lot anyway. And well, so, that's, there's a threat of that to this, which yeah. is not, it's, it's not like New Haven's not undergoing some sort of problem or plague of, mm -mm. of artists exiting because there's plenty going on. It's just that then that's the nature of modern life as well, yeah. right? That opportunities come up um, exactly. and you do what you do. And that's pretty normal because you can Skype and you can um, exactly. fly. And these exactly. are things that didn't exist uh, even a short time ago. What mm -hmm. what happened when, speaking of other people from Daggett Street, I mean, if you're mm -hmm. still in touch with some of those people, are they, do you feel like some of them are still here? Some of them oh, took a trip out? Um, I saw like a lot of art, the artists and the musicians all went to different cities. That's what ended up happening. Um, the people who were in there who were not necessarily artists, but were collectors of antiques and stuff like that, I saw them really downsize everything that they owned. And then um, occasionally I'll run into, um, there There were a couple of disabled couples in that building that I'll see on the street. On I've, I've been seeing a lot of people up toward Whaley, you know, and Westville and those areas. So I, they kind of went into different mm -hmm. neighborhoods. I really think that whole group of people dispersed. And I think for people who were really down and out, they ended up living with their families mm -hmm. again or... Um, really had to seek housing somewhere. Um, so it was really, I remember feeling deeply saddened, not only for myself, but for the people in the building. It was just three days is cruel, you know, and, yeah, and it was very, very cruel. And the way that I came back to my apartment, I was in Maine, which that's where my mother lives. And we went on a spring break trip in Maine. Nothing about it was spring. Like it was 20 degrees there. It snowed the whole way and the whole way back. And then we came back and our door had been busted in and our lock was broken and I had called that same friend John up and I was like um my neighbor downstairs texted me that my door was broken into do you think that you would like are you going to be back there soon would you mind closing my door so that my stuff isn't exposed for four hours and then we drove back wow and it was like man I mean no one deserves to lose their stuff and um, they're, you know, lugging stuff around is expensive and long and grueling and tiring. And um, so. And the process of moving for anyone is complicated, <laughs> never so mind complicated. on short notice. And when you're you've yeah. built in this space, your life, passions, essentially. And I was paying my rent on time, yeah. you know. So it was really like a set of, you know, building codes and issues. And But I don't really think that the city had to handle it that way. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that that was really the best way. Mm -hmm. And and um, sort of, and this is what's interesting, right? Kind of like the Phoenix out of the ashes is what no pop ended up becoming. Yeah. And I, I don't know by any stretch. I thought it, I think it's gone really, really well here Thank in New Haven. You. We, um, for us. So what happened was when we were moving out of that temporary house and I did a piece about it where I aired out this 15 foot flag and I just let the community interact with it and captured that house, which is now painted blue um, on Chapel Street. Um, so I like made work about that space. And then 
when we when we decided, you know, more studio lift space, we need a bigger space. And the same realtor who helped us out, Carol, showed us um, this other space. Um, it was really a relief because our landlord steward is an engineer, a retired engineer, and he owns that laundromat. And he's had a lot of artists in there and a lot of like startup art businesses in there. And it just made sense. And it's a secret. Yeah. Artist studio refuge. Yeah, it was great. And um, we walked in and we saw that little room and we had called it the egg six years ago. And we were like, what do we do with this room? It's so small. I don't, we can't have a bedroom in there. That would not be right. There's no windows in there. And we were like, oh, that's the egg. And then, then it generated no pop. And we started going, well, the hallway is exhibition space. The egg is an installation space. Other site-specific projects that happen here can respond to the space. We make our work in our studio. We live here too, but for events, we lock our personal spaces and we'll do some food events and music events. And so we started doing that. And I uh, found that it was really good for installation to get people involved and that it was humbling to be curating other artists work outside of a university setting which was where I did it by day and so you know I was feeling some constraints at the university of what types of shows I was allowed to do mm -hmm. and getting a lot of pressure from um, the administration and I was like no I, I really want to create events that people my age and younger want to be at mm -hmm. this is mm -hmm. this is not about um putting a limit on content. This is not about censorship. This is about actually bringing the arts into a more of an entertainment type of space and yeah. allowing people to enjoy food that other artists have made and let, you know, people who are trying out things. And so that collaborative spirit was really that helped us get through our displacement. Right. Um, right. It also, I think jump started a few people who really wanted to get involved and um, we met other people through that. Like we met uh, Ming from Junzi and, and Reed and who were also like Yaley's who started something that's, you know, accessible, like accessible food. Yeah. And so it was really rewarding. And it was also really apparent to me that we would always be outsiders to Yale and always be outsiders to universities and, that was disheartening, you know. I, a lot of my colleagues did come to NoPop and and Phil's as well. Like they did, like your university yeah. academic. Yeah, they colleagues. definitely came on their own, and I, they got it and understood it. Um, so that was rewarding. Do you think that this is? I mean, you could look at it either way, and I wonder what you'd think if it's sort of. Is there a need for different types of? exhibition spaces right because that and that's certainly mm -hmm. true for the time i've been here right that that's been a difference there or is it is it a matter of you know some of those institutions that are um are, are a little too sacred and um a little too precious about um in higher education about what they exhibit and whom they exhibit for mm -hmm. i think it is for me it's more of the latter where in a university town um i always say that there's so much culture here. Like if you were to do a survey of the Yale campus and go around and ask where everyone was from, you would find someone from like every part of the world. But the culture's closed. It's not it doesn't go outside. And Yale does donate to several nonprofits. You know, in fact, this town I think is like a 75% nonprofit town. 
Yeah, that's probably true. Um, which is why I feel like we get taxed really high on our cars. And like there's some daily things that are just hard to deal with as someone who's not earning, you know, an extravagant amount. You mm -hmm. know, I feel like I'm really earning my worth and, and I'm working class, you know, and expected to also have this like upper class sort of persona or to be interesting looking and engaging. And so there's this contradiction there. I'm supposed mm. to not look like I'm working class, but I am. And I'm getting taxed a lot. And I'm also contributing and working with these nonprofits. And, yeah, and there's an imbalance. There's an imbalance. Sometimes I wasn't getting paid, you know, and artists often don't get paid, you know, to be advocates for themselves and, and for others. And so there's all of those things that are multi-layered, you know, and I, I think they're worth paying attention to. And artists have some real constraints about whether they can break out and do something that is cultural. Um, and I, if the universities were, I guess, more interested in work that was socially engaging, work that brought, were work that could bring and bridge communities together, which mm -hmm. is really what I thought, I really think of No Pop as a venue that bridged together artists from mm -hmm. within the community and artists from Yale, and it was a space for that mingling. So we definitely need more mingling spaces between the higher academic school of thought yeah. and the community grassroots school of thought. They need to somehow come together so that right. they can there's actually influence wall. each other. There can yeah. be a tall wall between those two places and there's not always as much filtration. Yeah, yeah navigating's very hard. And so I'm always very realistic about those things. Like me working two jobs and running something for the community is an imbalance. And... um I make artwork. So when I come home, I really need to be working on that. And, and I ha you have to hustle that artwork too, to get into galleries and other institutions, museums. And yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a double time job. It's not, you know, yeah. it's not just like I'm working nine to six, like yeah. everyone else is and checking my email at night, like everyone else. It's like, no, that it's not checking my email at night. It's, it's full on expression. Yeah. And sometimes I was having to write a syllabi at syllabi at night or, sitting down writing what's the class assignment is yeah. for tomorrow and um i was finding that i wasn't getting the same classes everywhere so i was you know really trying to hustle to teach three or four subjects some years and i got to the point where i said to my that's when you and i applied to a lot of jobs and it's another <laughs> pastime of a lot of artists right i know because you not, were never tenure here anywhere no, or like mm -mm. A, you know fully adopted and embraced by exactly. a, a, an, an employer in that regard and that's the you're thing, you if you're I'm, an independent person a lot of people have been saying to me oh this is sad for new haven that you're leaving and i've been saying well then pay up pony up i mean no really i i, yeah. I cannot be non-tenured i cannot have a husband that has four jobs and still keep this wonderful cultural thing here like yeah. it needs to be but i also think that new haven has done that there have been waves of creative people who have intersected a few different times and if they could all remain that would be wonderful if they felt tenured then they might actually feel secure in what they're doing and so you reach out elsewhere well, and you you've know. experienced a bunch of different kinds of untenured, you know, not like yeah. employment wise, housing wise. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, when did, I mean, yes, you're right. And I'm glad you said it. Applying for jobs all the time. That's just kind of the, that's yeah. kind of the way it is. Um, yep. 
but did you like how did miami what's going on in miami yeah um, are you allowed to talk about it of course okay um and i would love to because i think that it's always well it's always a pleasure to talk about a transition you know and to actually sort out how you feel about it um i started looking for jobs two years ago a year before i started no pop with phil and Oh, so really... you started no pop knowing that this oh. this might be transitory well, or it has some well, look at it that way that. for because um and when you're applying to jobs and artists also apply to residencies and they mm-hmm. apply to exhibitions and they apply for public projects there's so many different things um and grants it's like you apply to these things so much that you just have no sense of space and time with it I mean, there, I couldn't even tell you everything I applied to in the past two years. I wouldn't be able to yeah. name all the places. And, and that was, I, for one year, when I was at Daggett, I was mostly applying to art things. And then, and then I switched to jobs, and then I switched back to art things, and then back to jobs. It was very... Um, oh, get close to the mic. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, no. But you were saying that... it was that... a balance... But but what's interesting is that it didn't stop you from you know no. you had you you didn't think any of this might fruit you're throwing yeah, I, everything out into the world and yep. you didn't think anything was going to come of it but then oh I did I thought eventually something would come just at whatever time it happened to be so if it had if I had gotten the job before we started No Pop who knows but after starting No Pop No Pop just lives on it just moves with us now No right. Pop goes to Miami yeah, and you are No Pop. I'm no pop and if, and Phil is no pop and if people want no pop to come back to New Haven for an exhibition, we'll come back, you know, Phil's actually from here. So I don't even feel like it's a permanent goodbye. I feel like it's actually a little hiatus or something. Mm -hmm. Um, and I need to look at it that way because I will consistently be applying to things for the rest of my life. I mean, it's just maybe since I just got a new position as a curator at an arts and culture center, maybe I'll apply to more, residencies just for my work and it's sort of this tipping of the scales you know Um, and and what is the new i mean you're a curator you said it but what's what are the details it sounds really interesting yeah so i'm curating at the arts and culture center and um it's the space that was a donated house to art much like the ely house actually and um there's a functioning staff of people so i can apply to grants to bring in artists and really look for those resources and the my experience is that when i look for resources for other people sometimes i find a few things for myself and i also find things for good friends who are in other cities and Mm -hmm. i kind of throw things out there and i for the first time could work with a team um and not be a one-woman show so i'm not hanging all the shows myself now i mean at seaton gallery at unh i was doing everything I, and I was also training interns and also teaching. So I was putting the artwork physically up on the wall with three people, teaching interns how to like screw screw into walls and nail things up and level things. And and meanwhile, thinking this is <laughs> this is taking uh, some time, you know. And I love these people and these interns. Yes. Um, and it just I realized that I would never be able to work on really big exhibitions without a structure that was functioning mm-hmm. in that way. And that's the central focus of this place, essentially. Yeah. And do you feel like that your, I mean, how were your ideas, passions, interests received in this non-university venue, Setting. but yet focused on, you know, curation and, 
and an exhibition. They were heard. And I had two interviews and in, um, with a team of women and, um, who each have their own very specific thing that they do and specialize in. So the director is directing multiple programs. They do a lot of outreach. They do classes. They, um, have formal exhibitions, fundraisers, there's a theater. Um, and it's really in this like amphitheater section of town. And it's, it's interesting. And, um, the thing is, is that I don't, I don't have to do it all. I, I'm just working on exhibitions and working with the team. You know, I will talk to the educator about what kinds of program ideas come up for me. Um, I will have a grant calendar and take it and delegate some of that work to members of the staff. And we'll have, we will be having conversations in the office. And I didn't have that support before. Well, you're going to have one job. Yeah. I, and just one job. <laughs> That would be really nice. One job, um, but no pop. No pop will be my second job. Yeah. Instead of having two jobs and no pop, I just want to have one job and no pop. And no pop will be the studio of Laura Marsh and Phil Liqui. And And I just got off the phone with a few colleagues. I'm sort of learning who my colleagues would, will be, like other curators and other artists. And uh, many of them go to New York often and sort of have a New York Miami lifestyle. and. I was like, oh, and the thing I like about Miami quite a bit is that there is such diversity in mm -hmm. that city. I mean, I had in two days there an Argentine empanada one day, a Colombian empanada the other day. Um, a lot of my Argentine friends, I went to Buenos Aires a few years oh, ago. Okay. They will be visiting me in December. As soon as December, I will probably see them more next year than I would have seen them in New Haven. Um so I, I'm realizing that also this sort of status line that I talked about before that a lot of artists ride where they're working class and they're trying to also have cultural personalities. New Yorkers would always say to me, oh, God, you're still in New Haven. And I was offended about that for at least the past seven years. And I would always say, you know, Phil and I have a great studio and we're both teaching. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, I'm sure that's something a lot of people have heard though. Even, you know, I was shocked the other day I was walking around and I heard obviously a Yale student. I saw a Yale sweatshirt go and I, you know, and I'm a Yaley too. So this, this kind of breaks my heart a little bit like, Oh, this weekend I'm going to go to New York and next week I'm going to go to Boston and New Haven is this is a city and it's actually a lot bigger than where I'm from in Montrose, Pennsylvania. And there are other perspectives that people have about this town and it's not just the sort of pass through to, first of all, I mean, Boston, great. And New York, I love, it's very hard to live there sometimes. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of my friends have given up their studios and they're working and they're still working on draft tables or figuring out little tiny Any spots, corner they can. corners, yeah. tables, and that's really credible and, and they're doing it. I'm happy about that. I just don't love that your studio practice can be so restricted. And the one thing I thought about in Miami was, okay, if my studio practice itself is restricted, I can go outside all year long. And hmm, I mean, 
That comes up all the time. I mean, people <laughs> love New Haven for a multitude of reasons, whether it's the diversity or the arts yeah. and culture or the access to a whole lot of different work opportunities and trees and nature. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that mix of... But you can do so much in a day. You could wake up and say, today I'm going to go to New York. Oh, tomorrow I'm going to go to Sleeping Giant. Oh, tonight there's an opening. I'm going to go check out a few openings um, at Artspace or Fred G. and Petro or, yeah, you know, there's, there's... It's amazing. It's amazing. But it is there. still hard. Yeah. And... and you know, it's exciting. I mean, there's no place in New Haven like it sounds like where you're going. Yeah, I mean, and also the museums there do outreach. Like there's an event going on every week at the Perez Museum. And I realized that I can, there's a really great, wonderful, like museum gay scene. I'm excited by that. I just want to be around people who are open-minded mm-hmm. and from very different places. And, um, and but I I really do believe in New Haven also, and I don't think it's just Yale. I don't think New Haven is Yale, mm-hmm. and anyone who <laughs> is going to get a degree from Yale and think that is just they're somehow living in the dark, or they aren't looking around them, or maybe they're not being encouraged to explore the town as a viable place. But there are also a lot of Yale alums here, and. I think some of them live like contradictory lives where they're saying they're in one place, but they're living here. And I just think that it's important to not, not allow biases to enter (laughs) the impression of a town, you know? Well, and, and because that's not fair and that doesn't actually credit anyone's work or anyone's purpose in this place. So I know it will get better. It will. And well, and, it, and I'm sure it actually has. I'm, I can imagine. It um, has a lot. And even you in know. your short time, you might have seen a difference in, in how that has shifted. Absolutely. Um, it's become much safer. There are many businesses opening, restaurants, you know. So I think artists should always consider self-mobilizing and starting new ideas, you know, and kind of accept that those ideas can change and move with you. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. Well, and I, don't, I think your example, your story of you know, being here and, and hiving here for all this period of time should be replicated. You know, we don't have to self-contain anyone. In fact, that's probably yeah. one of the problems with, you know, New York is it feels like uh, people get stuck in New York and they couldn't imagine leaving. And yeah. uh, New Haven's a little bit more fertile ground with a slightly more permeable yeah. border. Yeah. Um, and you have the same uh, situation many people would have, which is no pop is a is a two person show. That other yep. person tends to be your husband. And yep. um, what's going on? I mean, how's that playing out? Like you're shifting from many jobs to one job. Um, is is mm-hmm. this going to all pan out on both sides of the aisle? <laughs> I think it will. I mean, there's always a little bit of a leap of faith element to any move. Um, it's it's always tough. It's always expensive. Um, and that, that's the one part I'm dreading a little bit. Um, but for us, no pop is just going to keep evolving. Um, and you know, that's our business. That's our business name. Mm -hmm. We have an LLC, you know, and for a while it's going to be a blog. I, I want to write about all the shows I'm seeing and Mm, the scene that I'm intersecting with. And I really do hope to be much more global in my scope over time. Um, I really think that artists can navigate between cities and should really be advocating for earning money to go to those cities. And um, so that's going to be one aspect of no pop. And I am envisioning some like traveling exhibits um, 
and going out on the road with no pop carts and things like that and like just really being proactive yeah physical no pop carts and collaborating with other people who have event spaces and doing no pop events there and just really wanting to do them in other cities um that's that's sort of that's my long-term goal is to be able to really travel the world through making and by um creating new ideas and intersecting with communities and collaborating and for phil his goal is that as well you know and he also has his own goals um i know that he loves working in a wood shop and he's a good fabricator so he's considered a lot of things like helping out other artists being an artist assistant being a fabricator working at a museum and coordinating we're both such organizers and we're good with our hands that we just have to trust it and so that's been really interesting for us and we want to continue working with artists from new haven mm-hmm. in a lot of what we do we're definitely doing another pants destroyer oh really yep and people can just send it in that's, awesome. that's it's as easy as sending your that's stuff true. in that's true so i know our site will be active i know we'll be blogging and really trying to get people to read and, and look and see mm-hmm. and think and contribute and so that just continues you know and it has to and if it ever changes names or transitions to, it's just all part of no pop, you know, it's a philosophy more than it is a physical space. And there was something very physical about it. And we love that. And it, yeah, but it was interesting for me at least to learn that it, it was a, you know, a six year dream that yeah. then did have a physical manifestation. And then what Absolutely. happens next, you know, that, that trajectory is, um, yeah. is easy to digest, I think. Absolutely. It's not a dream anymore. It's, you know, it's still it's still what it is—a philosophy, part of your both artistic yeah, practices. Absolutely, um, and those just continue. You know, we've we've made art in so many different spaces. You know, and it just—you know, look for high ceilings, or there's certain things you look for, and you think about, and you go, "That will help me make my work." Mm-hmm. And, um, well, and yeah. I think that it's it's interesting. I didn't think about this before, but this is a, a an intentional displacement for you mm-hmm. rather than some unintentional displacement. So, um, and I know there are artists in New Haven, visual historian, whatever kinds of artists in New Haven who are in that boat of trying to figure out, um, you know, should I displace myself because mm-hmm. I'm seeing fertile ground in Chicago yep. or I'm seeing fertile ground in a farm in the middle yep. of Pennsylvania where mm-hmm. Laura Marsh is from. <laughs> and that's my choice and uh and i think you really hit on a lot of you know what fueled you um to get there and ideas for new haven but i mean what's the you know when push came to shove you're you're at the you have the job offer yeah and you could decide to take it or not take it right Mm -hmm. i mean what what kind of pushed you over the hump and what was going on in your mind when you decided like a lot of artists get to decide maybe all the time you know i'm gonna do this displacement for myself and my family and Mm -hmm. and my work um or i'm not i'm gonna stay and i'm gonna i'm gonna continue doing what i do here yeah there's a a plethora of of reasons that go into any move i think especially one that's far and um for me it was a few things it was pressure at my jobs Mm -hmm. um yeah (laughs) jobs knowing that um growth was a little stagnant. I mean, even when I told my colleagues and not definitely not going to mention their names, but they were like, Oh, you know, I mean, 
this isn't quite ever going to be a big gallery or a cultural center. And I felt really weird about that. I'm supposed to be teaching that. And and it's nothing against any one individual. It's mm-hmm. more like the philosophy where, no, think big, go hard, just keep going. And I've always had that mentality. Mm-hmm. I just always have. I mean, I've been I've been all over the world. I've been to like India and China and I've applied to residencies, asked for funding, pushed myself. I was really insistent on UNH, like send me to Italy. I'm interested. And I've always just been very game for right. change. And I, you know, my my parents got divorced when I was 11 and I was uprooted and displaced to Maine at my mother's choice. And like, I've just always had this different view of like, okay, if something gets hard, just change it and like keep going forward. Mm -hmm. So really that was on my mind. And And that could be related to the pressure, right? You have like you've vision with a capital V, you know, an intense sense of that for not just your work, but also the work in the community and, and yeah. the community at large. And then there's that pressure tension yeah. that lies there. Yeah. That, that piece, the vision sign by Linda Lindroth. Um, she has an interesting story because she started a gallery in New Haven as well, you know, and mm-hmm. we've talked a lot about it, you know, and how, and the other reality is when you have an event space that you live in, there's some, you have to separate things in your own mind. And that, that was kind of, interesting for me mm-hmm. um and i also just have had this desire so m- the whole thing this year that i've been focusing on a lot is how do i pay artists and how can i get paid as an artist and i'm just such an advocate for not only paying other artists but finding opportunities for myself and mm-hmm. balancing those things and <clears throat> in this particular arts and culture center i saw um, a staff of people that were willing to give me a curatorial vision who don't actually want to really be involved with my curatorial vision other than to support it and to work together. Right. right. I was like, the That's roles are great. very well delineated. In They're that. well delineated. And I was like, that felt like a relief. Mm-hmm. And then knowing that I would be just always grant writing and looking for opportunities just means that I will get to travel more. I just believe in that. Mm-hmm. And I love traveling. I love meeting new people. I love sharing culture. So for me, like if we could bust all those doors open at Yale and just bring out the culture and eat some empanadas, I'd be incredibly happy. You know, it's just like, come out and talk to me and everyone else. It couldn't be said better. (laughs) (laughs) So no, and I think that's very helpful. And I think those, you know, everyone will have three different things that are, you know, are going to motivate them to um, maintain what they're doing in New Haven or take it on the road. And and that's, and I do think, you know, ultimate conclusion that's that's modern life you know yeah. there's nothing new haven can or should do to make you stay and yeah, that's and really I, not the I point also if institutions institutions should just like pay me to come back and pay yeah. other artists and like buy work from artists and um that's really what makes people stay and come back you know and both of those things are equally important yeah I'll wow. be here like at least three times a year, so it'll it'll be nice. Good. Well, don't be a stranger. <laughs> and it's good. I'm really glad you were able to come on and sort of open up yeah, your brain on that. Yeah, thank you. This because, was wonderful. Yeah, I think we've, I really do think we have these conversations all the time in our personal lives and in sure. our circles. And, mm-hmm. you know, it'll probably help someone who's thinking about the same thing or grappling with the same thing. It's um, And always reach out to people. I think that's that's so important. None of the artists are alone in this type of struggle. I've, I've met so many people who have been displaced from studio live spaces 
and there's a there's a large life after that. So exactly. Anything. And you just well, have to stay positive, you know. Lucy had a lot to say, but unfortunately we ran out of time to say much about it. But if you uh, like this episode, I'll always encourage you to share it and pass it along. Um, we'll be back in two weeks. And always my eternal thanks to Laura and Thank you. to Lucy for keeping us on. <laughs>